right. So Michael Jr. is coming, and it's going to be really good. It's going to be really funny. Um, following him is interesting because I'm not as funny as he is. But we're going to have fun. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, a lot of us have heard the verse kind of referenced before. They're like, you're more than a conqueror. And you're like, yay. Great. Well, like, it's one of those things that sounds cool. It sounds great. It's exciting. But a lot of times we're like, there's just, there's a large gap between reality and what people throw around and what often starts as a verse and becomes kind of cliche where people just kind of throw this out there. Like, yeah, yeah, this is, and they go through, and it's one of those things that people say, and you're like, well, how come I don't always see it? If Jesus already won the victory, then how come so often it's lacking in our lives? And maybe that, that's never been the case for you, but I know many times I've gotten annoyed because I'm like, well, Jesus already paid the price. Jesus already won the victory. How come it's not a reality yet? How come I still have so many issues? How come I still have these different problems? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, is a verse that a lot of times I think gets referenced or memorized without any context. And it furthers the problem. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gets this idea that I got, I got to work out my salvation. And I discovered that for me, it's very easy for me to engage and try to refight the battle that Jesus already won. And I've discovered something. Jesus is much cooler than me. I stink at being perfect. And so when you go through this and you're like, well, I'm trying to work out my salvation and you've got this thing that you're trying to do, it's very easy for me to go back and to revert back to the law that Jesus already fulfilled and completed, and to get this like, I'm going to do it, I can do it, and to get in this battle, and to lose, and go, why do I keep messing up? Why do I suck? Why is this going? And, and so, I, w- I was reading, and actually, I read beyond Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, I actually read verse 13, it kind of helps when you read the following verses. So in 13 to 16, it says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So I'm supposed to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works it. So how is this my work? If he's the one who works it. And all of a sudden it, it began to like pose questions in my, my head. It was like, does this even make any sense? Or is this just weird? And so I went on and says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life. And it goes on, and the first thing, he goes, all right, it's, it's God who works, talks about my attitude, and ends with holding fast to the word of life. And I got going, is there something in my perspective, is there something that I've been doing backwards, because it's... I'm competitive. If you don't know me, I like to compete in everything. Um, winning is more fun than losing. I would much rather win than lose, and I will try as hard as I possibly can in order to win because it's better than losing. If you go into a competition and you try to lose, I don't understand you. Um, I suppose it's okay, but to me, you're an alien. Um, I, I very much understand this, but 
there, there's a side of that personality that's great, that's fun, and it has its place. The downside, the ditch to my personality is that I try, sometimes I want to win, too bad. And then there's also the ditch of, it's very easy for me to see the law and to get caught up trying to compete there. When, when it talks about it, it said that it's God that does it. And there's a verse in Matthew chapter 22 um, that helps immensely. In verse 37, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? One of the Pharisees, one of the law keepers, one of the guys who was doing it all to the best of his ability, looks at him and goes, you know, what's the most important law? Jesus responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. And I, I read that, and it got me thinking, because he goes, it's not about trying to keep all the rules, because you could have a never-ending line of rules. And if you talk to the Jews, they literally seem to have a never-ending line of rules. I think it's 613 laws. And you're like, that's a lot of them. But think about this. How many rules could your parents put in place to try to make you get along with your siblings? I have, like, you, especially as they're little, you can make rules for everything. Don't stab them with your fork. Don't hit them with your spoon. No hitting them with cars. No hitting them with blocks. No, and, and you can go through this list, and you can have 150 things just in the living room. You're like, nope, you're not allowed to hit them with that. Nope, not with that book. Nope, not with my Bible. Nope, not with my phone. No, you can't beat the flies with the tablet. It's a, it's a digital device. Like, like, there's so many of these things that, like, to us, you're like, hello. But if I was to sit here, I could make so many rules for just how my children try to get along. No stabbing them in the eye, no poking them in the eye, no sticking your fingers in there, no hitting them, biting them, pinching them, twisting. And I can go through this massive list, or I can just say, love them. Treat them like you'd want to be treated. And as soon as I do that, it changes things because it's no longer, well, you can't punch them, bite them, spit on them, hit them with the cars, blocks, forks, knives, spoons, plates, cups, and like... All of a sudden, this whole list of rules just goes away, and I can sit here and focus on all these I can'ts, which is what a lot of Christians are famous for. It's the, I don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang with those who do, and here's all the list of things that I don't do that make me a Christian. And he goes, that's great that you don't do those, but there's a better way. He goes, if you'll just work on just loving God and loving people, he says, the rest will just fall into place. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. All right, I need some crowd participation. Deep questions for you. How many of you guys set an alarm? I, most of you. How many never set an alarm? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you ever set an alarm? Kind of wake yourself up at some point. Do you not like the beeping? Don't like beeping. So the solution of not liking the beeping is don't set an alarm. Okay. Who sets an alarm? 
Why do you set an alarm? So what do you believe would happen if you didn't set an alarm? I'd be late to everything. Hmm. So you believe something, A, you would sleep in. You desire something to be on time. So you act and set an alarm. Is that correct? Gotcha. Who's got a job? Anyone got a job? Who do we pick on? Oh, everyone's pointing to you, Jay. All right, so why do you have a job? Because you like to work? Would you keep doing it if they stopped paying you? Probably. It's a good one. So you like it. So you have a desire to keep doing it, and therefore you do it. So you have a desire, and therefore you do. Okay? Who else has got a job? What do you do? Okay. Um, and why? To give your service to God. So you believe that by doing this, it honors God. You have a desire to honor God, therefore you do. Okay. How about homework? Does anyone ever get homework? Does anyone do their homework? Does anyone not do their homework? And I, I, I'm not going to pick on any in particular individual on this one because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'll let you answer these questions. Why? And if I was to sit around and if I was to walk around the room to ask each person, someone would say, well, I do my homework. Can you go, why? Well, I want to get good grades. Or someone would look at me and they'd skip that part and they'd go, I want to get a good job. And if I was to break it down, they would go through and go, I believe that my choice will have this effect and I desire for that effect. And some of you guys would go, I believe it's not going to make a difference. And I have a desire to watch Netflix. And therefore, I do nothing. And so, but I could break down your choices, because all of your choices that you make in life are going to come down to two things, what you believe and what you desire. And based on those two things, you begin to make decisions. And you'll discover a lot of times that you have conflict, conflict, conflicting desires. I can't talk most of the time. Um, these desires, like many of you guys, most of you guys set an alarm at least sometimes. How many of you actually appreciate it when it beeps? Okay. So out of everyone that said it, most of you guys are mad at it when it beeps. Even though you're the one that made it beep. And you go through this and you said, well, the reason that I said it is because I have a desire to be somewhere on time and I believe that I'll be late if it doesn't beep. But when it goes off, you're like, stupid alarm. How many of you guys hit the snooze? All right. And you do this. For a few reasons. Number one, you desire to sleep. And number two, you believe you can still make it. So all of a sudden, when the alarm goes off, these desires start the battle. I desire 
not to be late, and I desire to sleep. And if you believe you can get away with both, you're like, I didn't need to eat breakfast anyways. (laughs) Showers are overrated. (laughs) And, And... but all of a sudden, your desires and your beliefs come in, con- in conflict. I watch this constantly when I play volleyball. Because you'll, you'll have different people at different competitive levels. Not just their skill levels. That's a different story. But competitive nature. A desire to win. And some people have a great desire to protect their body. Others just have a desire to win. And so you'll, you'll watch this when the ball is a ways away from them. If their desire is just to be there, the ball's over there, and they're like, oh, bummer. You guys get a point. If, but if they've got a strong desire to win, they're, they're either going to move quick or they're going to dive. And they talk, it really comes up with the diving because when it comes up, when the opportunity to, to dive is needed to save the ball, you have most people have conflicting desires and it happens really, really fast. But inside, desire number one, if you're normal, at least it, I, I guess I can't speak for everyone on the definition of normal. If you're anything like me, you have a desire to get the point, which means not to let the ball, the ball hit the ground. If you are normal, I think this is pretty normal, you probably have a desire not to hurt yourself. Um, and so a lot of people's diving will depend on what kind of ground they're over. If they're over sand, they're like, I'll dive. It's fluffy. Um, if they're over carpet, a lot of people are like, I ain't diving on that soap. It burns. Underneath it's cement. It's kind of hard. I dive anyways. Um, but all of a sudden, as these two desires come up, your belief system all of a sudden will also pop up going, based on what floor I'm in, do I believe, how much do I think it's going to hurt if I hit that floor? And this runs through your head, and this runs through your head early, and a lot of you guys don't realize how many things run through your head, but you're asking yourself, how much is it going to hurt? And you're asking yourself, do I think I can get it? And then you ask, do you think it's worth it? And all of a sudden, you're going to have the desire to protect yourself, the desire to get the ball, and they're going to go to combat. And based on what you believe and what you desire based on your personality there, you are going to make a choice that's going to produce an action in your life. So, if all of the choices in your life are the product of what you believe and what you desire... What you believe and what you desire are so important. What things determine what you believe and what you desire? Because ultimately, those things then produce the actions and the direction of your life. And as I got thinking about this, I I was reading Colossians chapter 3, and it said, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I've read that. I don't know how many times, and I've heard that, and I've had it as a memory verse as a little kid, and I've heard Philippians where it talks about think on these things, and I've, and it was one of those ones where you go, that's cool, think about that, that's supposed to do something, and I, I missed it, like I missed the point, point. and I was reading through it just this, just the other day, 
And it's a set your mind on the things that are above, not on earthly things. For you, and I'm like, yeah, yada, blada, shmada. And it's like, all right, put to death. And it lists all these things that I'm not supposed to do. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because I remember I law-based in my just wiring. I'm competitive, want to compete, want to know the rules, and then compete by the rules so that I can legitimately win. That's just the way that I function. Um, and so I, I look at it, I'm like, sweet, rules. Don't do these. Don't do. All right, then it's like, put on. Um, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. I'm like, all right, sweet. You got to do these things, not do these things. And I'm going through this list in my head. And it's like, like building up, don't do, do the rules of the game. It's like, you know, you go to play uh, a new sport with somebody. If they're going to teach you how to play basketball, they're going to start out with some of the basics. Like, all right, you need to get the ball through that hoop. You're like, great, without tackling people. It's not football. If you tackle people, they'll kick you out. It's not good. Okay, okay, don't do that. And you get the ball down there. All right, run. That's called traveling. Well, yeah, I'm supposed to travel to the hoop. No, you have to dribble. Why? So you go through this whole list of don't do and do, and this is how you win. Um, and my, my mind just, it goes that way very easily. It goes into that, and I'm, so my mind started to do this, and all of a sudden I noticed, I said, then let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I'm like, well, how does it, okay, it's another do, I can do this. And then it goes on in verse 17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And I'm like, what does that have to do with all these lists of do's that I'm doing? And then it goes on, gives a couple more, specific to wives, husbands, fa- children, fathers, slaves. And then it goes, whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord and not for men. And all of a sudden, the little light bulb came on. It was like, Ding. wow, I get it. And all of a sudden, I connected. And you can actually see it. I literally did. There's a blue line. It connects. Verse 2 and verse 23. And it goes through. I'm like, set your mind on things that are above. I'm setting my mind on things above that whatever I do, I'm working wholeheartedly as to the Lord, then all of a sudden these lists are going to happen on accident. Because just like making a large list of rules for my kids on don't punch each other, bite each other, kick each other, hit each other with cars, forks, plates, spoons, knives, cups, blocks, could go on forever or I could just say, love them and treat them the way you'd want to be treated. Because you have to define what it looks like to love someone when you're talking to a three-year-old. I'm like, wait a second. What it's trying to tell me is that if I can fix my mind on God and on pleasing Him, not on rules of what I can do, can't do, but just on going, God, I'm going to see you someday, and I want to be excited and ready. I don't want to hide. And all of a sudden, that's going to change how I live. Because my focus, the things that I put in, are going to affect what I see. The filter, when my meditation is going to produce beliefs and desires in me. My beliefs and my desires produce all of the actions that I make. So if I can change where I think And what I focus on, I can change what I do. And I can change it not by sitting here going, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. But by simply going, if I pour these things in, it affects what I believe. 
and what I believe will end up affecting some of my desires, and what I believe and what I desire will determine all of my actions. And so I, I started looking at this going, hmm. And all of a sudden, I discovered in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it talks about it. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. In Philippians 2, 5, Have this mind among yourselves which is in Christ Jesus, who, um, who though he was in the form of God, did not account it equality to be God, to be grasped but himself, um, nothing, taking the form of a servant, a servant being born in the likeness of men. He goes, all right, it keeps telling me how to shift my mind, and that if I shift my mind, it's going to produce an action. <coughs> and <clears throat> breathing is important. If you're thinking about stopping, don't. It's very important. Uh, Philippians 3.19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. It says, where they are focused is dictating the direction of their life. <clears throat> we were talking, in fact, during our circle of, with all the leaders, we were praying for some of those in driver's training. Um, I don't know if, how many of you guys can drive? How many are still wishing you could drive? All right. Your time is coming, maybe. Um, but... One of the things I recall about learning to drive was my mom, when driving, my dad, my folks, they'd, they'd drive, and I thought this seemed to be normal. They could look away from the road at you and still drive on the road. So I thought that was kind of give, a give me. And I remember, like, learning to drive and then looking somewhere, and the car started to go where I was looking. Like, what is this thing? Why does it work for them and not for me? But I learned that there's this rule that where I look tends to be where I go. And with a car, you as you get better at driving, you learn how to pay attention to where you're going and to keep it going straight while you glance over here so that you don't do like a lane check and check to see if there's someone there as you collide into them. Like, wait, poof, oh, ah. Like, it's important that you can like keep the car going straight while you check that, make sure that that lane is empty. Moving your car into a preoccupied lane is a bad idea. So you know. So, but I learned it's true with the car. Um, I used to do a lot of mountain biking. I haven't done so much lately, but mountain biking, there's not always a lot of margin. When you're biking on a, on like sidewalks and things, you're like, yeah, you got several feet on either side, and that's about it. When you're biking, when you're mountain biking, a lot of the trails are really skinny, meaning you have inches on either side of your handlebars. Um, as you go between trees and then around corners. And I remember in particular, I don't remember if it's Yankee Springs or Fort Custer. I was biking out with some, my brother and a few friends. And we start this thing off, and I was flying down, and there's this little bump in the sand, and then it turns. And there's a tree just past, like, so the tree is there, and then it turns right here, kind of in the sand. And I, we're they're, these guys, a lot of these guys are faster than me, so I'm just like, all right, I'm going to keep up because I'm competitive. I'm like, come on. And so I'm like, I'm pedaling for all I'm worth. Like I'm flying through this thing, like jump off, and this is just as we're getting started. So I still had enough energy to keep up with them. It doesn't show that they're better than me until after we get a few miles into it that you realize that they weren't pushing themselves that hard while I was pushing myself like crazy. And so I'm pedal, pedal, pedal. But I saw that tree. I'm like, oh, no, don't hit that tree. Don't hit that tree. Don't hit that tree. Don't hit. And what happened? Bam! And I actually bent my... um my wheel and one of the guys had to help me mess with the spokes and tighten the spokes to try to straighten out my wheel enough that I could continue things on because I nailed that tree. 
And because there's this, this rule that where you look, you go. And it's true, biking, it has an effect on your car. I used to do a lot of wakeboarding. I get to do a little bit of it now. And when you go to do tricks or when you go to jump, and it's all the times you're teaching people, they're like, I crashed. You look at the water, they're like, yeah, because I was afraid I was going to crash. That's why you crashed. No, I looked at it because I was crashing. No, you crashed because you looked at the water. What are you telling me? Look at the boat. But I'm in the water. If you look in the water, you will be in the water. <laughs> is this like mystical? No, this is not mystical. This is just where you look, you go. A lot of times we don't realize what things we're looking at that are having an effect on our life. Because I'm going to reverse some things. Anyone have a Twitter? Okay. I have one, and I tweet almost every month. <laughs> no, I don't tweet very often. Yeah, there's some of them are cheering. They're like, maybe. But I'll occasionally tweet, but mostly I just laugh at what students tweet. Um, and we had a conversation in the office today, because there are some great tweets. There are some stupid, stupid tweets. Frequently, actually. And, and it's, it's not the like, uh, how do I word this? The ones that get me aren't when people just tweet about dumb things. When it's like, I pooed and I feel better. You're like, really? I didn't need to know that, but all right, whatever. Um, but it's when people tweet, and I, I've actually called students to check on them to be like, are you okay? And they're like, they're tweeting something awful, and, and I get back an answer. Oh, that's some, that's some lyrics to a song. Why are you listening to that stupid song? Like, you're sitting here tweeting about how my life is falling apart and I don't know who to trust and I don't know what's the truth anymore. I'm like, shoot, call him up. Well, that's a song. I just was tweeting it. But, but um, someone tweeted today, oh, it's in my notes somewhere. Got to the point that I should leave you alone, but we both know that I'm not strong. And I miss the lips that made me fly. Like, <laughs> like, what are you doing? And if you know who that is, you already follow them, and I didn't expose you to anything that they didn't already expose you to. So, but I look at this, and I'm like, so what if it's a song? What are you sticking in your head? What are you full of? What does it create a desire for? The lips that made you fly? The lips that you hope will make you fly? Like, what is this that we're putting in and stirring up and then wondering why we have this effect on our life? And so often we go, well, why am I struggling and why are these things? And it's, it's all about these do's and do nots and we're putting in the wrong things and wondering why we're getting out the wrong thing. And if we could turn and shift our eyes, it changes what you believe, it changes what you desire, and it changes what you hear and what you see. Um, is, have you ever been talking to somebody and all of a sudden heard your name from somebody else that was talking and having a different conversation? Isn't it amazing how all of a sudden you can start hearing the conversation that you couldn't hear before? Like, because there's just like, 
you're talking to somebody, and then there's background sound that's just there. You don't really know what's going on. And all of a sudden, you hear your name, and you're like still there, kind of. And all of a sudden, you're like, what are they talking about? And you, maybe it's just me. But when I hear my name, my ears perk up. Not like they actually jump. That'd be weird. But like, all of a sudden, it gets my attention. And all of a sudden, enough of my focus goes there that it changes what I hear. Not that all of a sudden they say my name and feel the need that they have to talk louder now that they said my name. That'd be weird. But just because I'm now paying attention, it changes what I can hear. And in our life, we have the ability to choose what we tune our ear to. And sadly, we often tune it to the wrong thing. And once you tune your ear, or you accidentally tune your ear, because if you don't do it on purpose, you'll do it on accident. Your ear is tuned to something. But it changes what you see. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that we're transformed. Our life is to be changed by the renewing of our mind. This is as you change where your mind is, as you change what's going into your mind, it will change your life. Um, I've done a few different jobs. In amongst them, I've done roofing. I've done painting. Um, when I started doing these, they trained me to see things. And all of a sudden, as I started painting, I would walk into a house and I would start noticing their woodwork because I was on the trim crew. So I would walk into your house, and most people like look at your how you decorated and what shades you have and if it matches your couch cushions, because apparently that's supposed to happen. I don't know. Um, I have a wife, and she tells me these things. I'm like, okay. But I walk in, and I'm like, look at their trim. Hmm. Sprayed or rolled, brushed. That one's brushed. That one's sprayed. Hmm, how old did they spray it? I'm like, walk over, feel it. Hmm. Should have sanded it another time. Like, and all of a sudden, I, I just see woodwork because they trained me to do this. And when I was doing roofs all the time, I'd walk up to a house and you just look at the roof and you're like, oh yeah, that's a new roof. Or you look at it and you're like, that's an old roof. Or you look at it and you're like, you see that? They sagged the line right there. You look at it and you're like, did you see that they're a quarter inch off over there? You realize that that's, they did three tabs and they weren't even very straight. And all of a sudden I could see what kind of shingles they had and if, how well they lined them up. Why? Well, because I, I started putting this in all the time and so it became the thing that I observed. In fact, I didn't get paid to swing dance. That was not a job, but I used to go swing dancing downtown a lot. Anyone swing dance at all? Okay, so I used to go down there. Um, I went, someone invited me down there. I'm like, oh, sure, I'll go down there. And they're like, I get down there, they're like, all right, here are the basics. Step, step, rock, step. I'm like, I think I can do this, but I don't really have any rhythm, so this might be challenging. And so we start this, and then they're like, here's the girl spin, the guy spin, and here's how to flip the girl. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> this is great. Day one, they taught me how to flip people. Ah, I'm going to start doing this. So for a few years, I went swing dancing all the time. I'm like, this is great. I got to flip them, throw them around. I could throw them around my back, bring them back over here, throw them. Once I started doing this all the time, like, you'd see a girl, and you'd go to meet her, and she'd stick her hand out. And I see her hand, and rather than thinking first thing of, like, you're meeting someone, my first thought is if I take her hand and pull it, I can whip her into a pretzel. I can catch her other hand here. And, like, <laughs> like, you just think because that's what you did all the time, and it was what I was putting in. So it began to become what I saw, even when it wasn't appropriate. You're like... This is the wrong spot. That's not a girl I should grab her hand and start dancing with. But that's what I saw because that's what I put in. So then, if I put in lots and lots of swing dancing, I begin to see swing dancing and opportunities everywhere. If when I begin to paint and put in lots 
and lots of time working with painting, I begin to see painting opportunities everywhere. If when I begin to roof, I saw and noticed roofs, the flaws, the well done, and everything about the roof, what do you think happens if you look at pornography? What do you think happens when you're watching movies all the time? What do you think happens with the music you're listening to? And some people go, well, I just like the beat. Shut up. You're tweeting it. <laughs> if it's in your head enough to tweet it, it's deep inside. If that's inside, that's then going to affect what you see, believe, desire, and do. And I got so excited when I saw this because trying to do all the right things and trying not to do all the right things is a lot of work and you'll fail. I hate failing. I really do. But I discovered, I'm like, if I can change what I take in, if I can change what I put in and what I believe, what I desire, I will start to be better on accident than I was when I was trying really hard. Because it's no longer about me doing, 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 but all of a sudden, that split-second decision comes up right because now my belief and my desire line up with pleasing God. And so often, that's what's missing. And I have lots of notes and a little time, which seems to be a common problem for me. What about you? What are you putting in that's filling your belief, causing your desire, and producing action in your life? Are you fighting the battle that Jesus already won trying to compete? Because I know there's people at different spots, and I know that there are people like me who are trying really hard to be good, and you're failing. And I know there are others who just keep doing stupid things and wondering why. Like, I don't understand why you keep doing these dumb things. And then they ask and they go, well, I guess it would make sense if I'm putting in movies that glorify dating everyone, that glorify sex, that glorify cussing. If I'm hanging out with people that all disrespect authority and do all these things, I guess it now makes sense that that begins to be what I see, that begins to be what I look for, that be, has become my normal, and it begins to affect my beliefs, my desires, and my actions. And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself these questions. You go, all right, maybe I need to cancel my Netflix or limit it so that's not the number one influence in my life. Maybe I need to check who my friends are. I need to set my mind on things above. That doesn't mean I sit there and go, ceiling, ceiling, ceiling. Doesn't mean I look up and just go, God, like, no, but I'm thinking about how to please him. I'm getting his word inside. 
and I'm thinking about what's going to last and what's going to matter. I'm letting that change the direction of my life. And if you're here and say, you know, as you talk about Jesus already winning the victory, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I want to I walk in the victory that he won. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God on my way to heaven. I want to give you a chance to make Jesus your Lord. I'm out of time, so I need everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. If that's you, you want to make Jesus your Lord, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, three, raise your hands nice and high. So that's me. I want him to come in. I want him to wash away my sins. I want to know that I'm right with God on my way to heaven. Awesome. Who else says that's me? Awesome. Who else says that's me? All right. You can put your hands down. Whether you raise your hands or you've done this before, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we're going to say a simple prayer, and we're going to call on God's name. So go ahead and repeat it for me. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Give them a real big hand. Find a leader afterwards. We've got stuff we want to give you. We want to be praying for you. Um, have fun uh, examining what you're taking in, what you're believing and desiring and then doing. And be blessed. Be dismissed.